number three, and uh, we are in our fourth week in this series, Make Way for Jesus, and what we're doing is we're refocusing our attention on the one that it's all about. We're refocusing on Christ, and we've been looking at John the Baptist because he was preparing the way. He was heralding the message. He was uh, proclaiming that uh, Christ was coming. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so by looking at John the Baptist preparing a way for Jesus there and pointing folks to Jesus, uh, we kind of see an example here in this refocusing that we're doing. And so, so far with John the Baptist, we have seen uh, the man and the Lord still needs people who will uh, be separated, who will be distinct and who will be uh, submitted to him uh, to preach the word, to uh, carry out the message that he has for us uh, today. Uh, the next thing that we looked at, we looked at the message, and the message was uh, the Lord's coming, get ready, right? Lord's coming, get ready. And so for those who are lost, those who don't know Christ their Savior, they need to get saved. And for us who are saved, we need to keep in mind that Jesus is coming and live in light of eternity. Because if we're not careful, it's too easy for us to get focused on things down here on this earth and get wrapped up in this and forget about the fact that Jesus is coming and we're going to spend an eternity with him. And the Bible says that this life is but a vapor. And so if we're not careful, we invest so much energy in this vapor and we do away with uh, investing in eternity. Uh, then the last week we looked at uh, the response to the message. We looked at the multitudes. And in the multitudes, there were those who believed, there were those who pretended to believe, and there were those who rejected altogether. Right. And we're going to find the same thing going on in this world as we preach the word of God, as we proclaim the word of God. There'll be those who believe, those who pretend, those who reject. And honestly, we can't do anything about people's response to the message. We can't make anyone believe. We can't make anyone respond favorably. But the question for us ourselves here is how do we respond to the truth of God's word? Because the same thing can be true of us. We can accept it. We can uh, take it wholeheartedly. We can believe it. We can pretend that we do. We can give lip service to it. Or we can reject it altogether. And that might be a little bit of an odd concept for us to think that a Christian would reject the things of God. But it's easy to do, especially whenever in light of what we've seen in uh, Sunday school with the pressures and with the different things coming our way. Uh, it's easy to try to conform. It's easy to uh, tell God no so we say yes to the world. And so we need to monitor our responses. What is our response to God's message? And so today, we're finally going to get to Jesus. John has been proclaiming all along, Jesus is coming, and today he's going to be saying Jesus is here. Uh, he's been preaching and baptizing in the Jordan River. He's been uh, telling the people about the Messiah that was coming. And no doubt everyone had their ideas about who this man that John was proclaiming, the one that he is preparing for, they had their ideas of what he would be like. They had their ideas about uh, how he would act, how he would respond. They had their ideas, probably even what he would look like, how he would come on the scene, and what he would accomplish. And so I figure people were probably even searching. John says the kingdom is at hand. Okay, where is the king? And they're starting to look. As a matter of fact, they had been looking for some time. Even uh, in Jewish tradition and the way they were doing things, every woman was wanting to be the one that gave birth to the Messiah. 
They were looking for that because there was the promise all the way back in uh, Genesis chapter number 3 that the seed of the woman would come and they all the women were wanting to be that woman through who the seed would come. So they were looking for the king. They were trying to figure out where was he going to be? Where would he come from? What would he be like? And they were probably expecting him to make a grand entrance. And what we're looking at today could be considered making a grand entrance just for the simple fact that the heavens are open and the Spirit of God descends like a dove and God's voice is heard audibly. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well. That's an entrance, right? Right. But it's probably still not the one that they were expecting. And so, as we've mentioned before, they were expecting a political and a military leader. And why wouldn't they? Because he's supposed to be the king of kings. So wouldn't he be political? Wouldn't he be military? They longed for the days of freedom from Rome. They wanted to see the Jewish nation prospering. They wanted to see themselves back to the position of prestige that they once had under David and under Solomon. They wanted to be ruling. They wanted it to be their empire. They wanted to have power, and they were tired of the power that Rome had. And so they were wanting this prophesied Messiah to come and finally give them what they had been wanting. And that's a common thing even to this day, that we're looking for God to give us what we want, what we expect. We're looking for him to fit into our ideas, into our box, into what we would desire him to be. And that's what they were doing. And unfortunately, many of them ended up disappointed. We know that because we know the rest of the story, that at the end, whenever Jesus was crucified, some of the very same ones that were probably baptized by John, some of the ones that were throwing down uh, palm branches and different things and saying Hosanna were probably some of the same ones that were saying crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because he did not meet their expectations. They wanted a military rose up. They wanted prominence. They wanted power. They wanted an earthly king and an earthly kingdom. And he came not for that. He came not for a temporary kingdom. He came not for a temporal victory, but he came to give an eternal victory over sin, hell, and the grave. He came to give an eternal victory, a spiritual victory that wasn't just going to create a kingdom on this earth, but was going to take us to heaven for eternity. He had a complete different plan in place from mankind. And isn't that what happens to us a lot of times? God's plans and our plans don't match up and we become disappointed. Is it because God is lacking in some way? Is it because Jesus doesn't meet up? Or is it because our expectations are wrong? Our perception of God is wrong. Our expectations of God and the way that he works and what he does is wrong because we are so short-focused. We are so limited in our perspective that we try to force God into our limited perspective. And when he doesn't deliver, we're disappointed. But whenever we stretch out things to eternity as God is eternal and we see God's eternal plans and his eternal practices and the things that he is setting out to do, we're going to see that in eternity future, we are not going to be disappointed. Whenever you set eyes on him in glory, whenever you stand on the streets of gold, do you think that you're going to say, God, I thought it was going to be different. This doesn't quite match up to my expectations. God, I think you should have done this differently. No, I don't think we will. We're going to say, God, I never expected it to be this good. 
But while we're on this earth, while we're temporarily focused, whenever we are shrouded in this flesh and limited by this flesh, we say, God, I don't see how this could work out good. I don't see where this is going. This isn't what I expected it to be, God. And I think God, if he would answer from heaven, he would say, just wait. Right? And so as we look at this here, there's no lack in Christ. There's no lack in what he is. There's a lack in us. We have the same problem as what the Jews did back then. We can see now that he was working in so much greater plan than what they expected. He was working on such a larger scale than what they expected. We can see that with them, but we can't see that with us. And so let's get to our text here, and let's look and see who this Messiah is that John had proclaimed would come, and let's look and see what he does. So Matthew chapter number 3, we're going to go down to verse number 11. For the past three weeks, we've read the, the opening part of this chapter, but I want to read the, the finishing of this chapter. So verse number 11, it says, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. This is John speaking. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his weed into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then cometh John, excuse me, then come Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee. And comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you once again today. We thank you so much for your blessings. We thank you for your word, Lord, for the encouragement that we receive from it. I just pray, Lord, ask you just to guide and direct me as I preach. Help me, Lord, uh, just to proclaim these truths from your word today and be an encouragement to your people. Be with each person here that they would gain from the service exactly that which they need. Strengthen their faith. Uh, encourage them in their walk, Lord, and just help them, Lord, to see you for who you are. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that don't know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would put their faith and trust in you for the salvation of their souls and the forgiveness of their sins. Thank you so much for all that you do. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this here, John had kept saying over and over, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And in this passage that we read, he said, he's finally here. But whenever Jesus came, do you notice that even John wasn't prepared for him? That's kind of amazing to me. He's been the one preparing the way. He's been the one saying Jesus is coming. And whenever Jesus finally stood before John, Jesus comes to John and says, baptize me. And John says, wait a minute. Did y'all catch that? He says, you should be the one baptizing me. You're the king. You're the Messiah. You are God. And so I have need to be baptized of you, not to baptize you. And so he catches John off guard. He's been preparing for this all along from the time that he was in his mother's womb. It says that John the Baptist weeped, in, or not weeped, leaped in his mother's womb whenever he came near Mary, whenever she was pregnant with Jesus. 
From the time that he was conceived, he was prepared for this work and was preparing and paving the way for Jesus. And Jesus comes and John's even, whoa, wait a minute here. This isn't what I expected. But honestly, John had just said, there's one coming after me whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. In another place, he says, I'm not even worth, worthy of tying his shoes, if you will. And so wouldn't you expect John and all mankind to have a little bit of trouble comprehending who Jesus is? Someone who is that great. The Bible says in another place, there was none, uh, no man born of woman that was greater than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, right? So John says, even though he was the greatest born of women, he says, I'm not even worthy to untie Jesus' shoes or to tie his shoes, okay? And so he says, whenever Jesus comes on the scene, he says, he's more than I can imagine. He's different than what I ever expected. And I think in our lives and in our minds, we should never lose our awe of Jesus. If we're watching him, if we're walking with him, if we're living for him, he will constantly be surprising us. Has Jesus ever caught you off guard? Has God ever done something in your life unexpected and it just caught you and you said, I wasn't expecting that? Where it was just so obvious it was of God? You ever have any of those times in your life? Because he does that sometimes. And so whenever we look at this and we see that John was even not expecting what Jesus has done and what Jesus was like, I'm thankful that in the word of God that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to us. We're still not going to be able to fully grasp it, but he chooses to reveal himself to us. So I, I want to keep it fairly simple this morning, but the first thing that I want to think about is who is Jesus? They were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a ruler. They were looking for someone who would deliver them from their enemies. They were looking for someone to bring peace and prosperity. They were looking for... All of these things, but they were short-sighted in what they were looking for. In this passage, we find several things about Jesus. And so just sticking with this passage for just a moment, we find that he is the king of the, the king of the kingdom. He says the kingdom of God is at hand. And so what does he mean by that? He says the king is coming. And Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. So that he is the Lord that should come. Prepare you the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. He is the Lord. He is the mighty one. There is one coming that is mightier than I am. He's the one that would baptize with, fire, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He's the one that's the rightful and the just judge. He is going to come and he is going to, uh, what does it say here in verse 12? Whose hand, a fan is in his hand and will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garden. That is showing us he is the just judge. He is the one that's going to be going through and dealing out to all men according to their works or according to their faith. He is the one that God testified himself and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In the parallel passage, John said that he was the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. Behold the lamb. We find that uh, John the apostle says that uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So what does that mean? That means that He is eternal, that He has always been there. He wasn't created. He wasn't 
born in the manger and that wasn't his beginning. He has always been, always will be. He is the creator. He is the sustainer of life. It says in him was light and his light was the life of men. And so he is the creator and sustainer of life. He was in the beginning, but he has no beginning because he always has been. He always will be. He is eternal. He is all powerful. That means that there is nothing that he can't do. He spoke all things into existence. Think about that for a second. What can you do with your words? Very little. But everything that we know of, all of the universe, all of the creation, everything that appears, everything that exists is the result of the words which he spoke. Things that mankind has marveled at or studying out and has not even began to probe the depths of he spoke into existence says that he is able to count every one of our hairs that he's able to name all of us by name he knows every sparrow that falls he knows every path that we take he knows everything about that is who he is he's also omniscient there is nothing that he doesn't know he's a source of all knowledge and all wisdom and all understanding. Everything that you know is because of him. He is the source of all information. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. There is nowhere that you can go that he is not, and he is ever-present. If you belong to him, you can never go away from him. You can never leave him because he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is always there. He was with God at creation. We see him typified whenever the first man and woman sinned, and he was there as the coat of skin that clothed their nakedness. He was there as a type. We find that he was the Passover lamb. He was the manna in the wilderness. We find that he was Isaac, the beloved son that was to be offered, and he was the ram that was offered up as a substitute for that one that was condemned unto death. He was the ark that kept Noah safe, and he was a multitude of sacrifices that covered the sins of the Israelites under the law. He was the one who brought glad tidings to Abraham and Sarah. And he's also the one that came and warned Lot and his family to flee and to get out of Sodom before judgment came. He was the fourth man in the fire we talked about in Sunday school. The Bible says he's the lily of the valley. He is the bright and morning star. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the great I am. He is the good shepherd. He is the alpha and omega. He is the beginning and the end. That's who he is. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a lamb without spot and without blemish. He is God. And so do you see a little bit about who he is? Do you see why John says, I can't even untie his shoes. I'm not worthy. And all of that goes to make what he did even much more surprising. So whenever we look at God and his magnitude, and we see that Jesus is God, and there is no separating the God and Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Father, there's no separate. When we see the power, whenever we see all the things that he is capable of, when we see his power and everything that he is, and then we look and we see that he's also the one who came down to this earth and humbled himself to be born a man, humbled himself and came and gave himself upon the cross for you and I. And so some of these things that he's done and who he is, we've already looked at. 
just in seeing uh, seeing these things about him. But we find that in what he has already done, he made the worlds and everything in it. And that's mighty enough, but not only did he make them, but he made them beautiful. He made them good. At the end of each day, whenever God spoke these things into existence, he looked over what he created and he said, it is good. And we look around and we see God's creation, even in its fallen state, even corrupted by sin and by the wicked devices of man. And we look out and we see beauty all around us. And we see the creation that he made, that it is good, that he has made it to where it is perfect for our existence. He has created it for us to fit. He has created it for us to enjoy. He's created it for us to partake of. He did that for us. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That God would do that, that God would provide such a place for us. And not only did he choose to create us and give us a place to live, he also revealed himself to us. There are those that think that God is far removed and distant. They think that he is unpersonal or impersonal, I should say. They think that he doesn't care about the matters of this earth. But we find all the way through scripture that God constantly cares about the things going on in this earth. We find that all the way through the Old Testament, that after man sinned, that God made a way for their sins to be covered and to cover up their, uh, their nakedness and their guilt. We find that he came down and he chose out a man, Abraham by name, chose him out to become a great nation through whom he would come to this earth as a man to die for us, but also through whom and through the nation whom he would also reveal himself to mankind. We look throughout the, old, the whole Old Testament of Scripture and what's going on there. It is God showing us who he is. It is God relating to us. It is showing us that he wants to be reconciled to us and us to him. It is God being long-suffering, him being patient, him dealing with us, him showing his goodness, but also his holiness. And he is interacting with mankind, and he has done that. And all throughout the Old Testament, what was he doing? He was making a time, a place, and a people through whom he could come to this earth, be born of a virgin, live a perfect and sinless life in the body of a man to die as the perfect sacrifice, the lamb that would take away the sins of the world. And he was crucified on our behalf, and he proclaimed that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. He has proclaimed that he has made salvation available to all. That's what he did. There's so much the Lord has done, so much that has been thought so little of. How often mankind has taken it for granted. The Jewish people, as they constantly were being dealt with by God, and God was reaching out to them. And God was revealing himself, and he was protecting them, and he was guiding them, and he was patient with them. They took it for granted. But he still reached out for them. Jesus looked at the people of Israel, and he says, How oft would I have taken you as a hen doth gather her chicks under her wings, and you would not. That's what he's done. From Genesis chapter 3 to Matthew chapter number 1, 
He was working a work to bring about salvation for all mankind. He did all of these things to bring about salvation, to be that lamb that takes away the sins of the world. But the Bible says that he came to his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. That's what he did. He made salvation available. The everlasting, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and humbled himself uh, to, and became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. That's what he has done. And he's done that for you, and he's done it for me. And so because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The holy God died for sinful men, that sinful men could become holy. He came down to this earth to make it possible for us to go up to be with him in glory. That is what he has done. So that's who he is. That's what he did. But the next question is, what is he doing today? What is Jesus doing right now? One of the things he's doing, he is sitting at the right hand of God. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He ascended up into heaven. He had proclaimed it is finished. He gave himself as an offering for all men. And he is now up there. The Bible says that he's sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and for me. He is interceding. He is the one that we can come to through prayer. Because of him, we can approach the throne of grace boldly and obtain grace to help in time of need. He is there also drawing the lost unto him. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And that's what he is doing now. He is reaching out salvation to whosoever will. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he is still saying for man to come. He is still in the saving business. He's also advocating on behalf of all of us. The Bible says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is an advocate. Have you ever thought about what an advocate is? Advocate is someone who argues on your behalf. If you think about it, you go to a courtroom and you're standing trial. Do you want to stand on your own behalf? No, you want someone who knows what they're doing to represent you. And guess what? Jesus is our advocate before God. The accuser of the brother comes and tells all the wickedness and all the things that we do. And he doesn't even have to make it up. He can tell the truth. And Jesus comes as our advocate and says, it's already been settled. It's already been paid in full. I stand here as their righteousness. He is our advocate today before the Father. He is the reason we can come boldly. He's still forgiving and cleansing because it says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's still doing that today. He's ordering our steps. He is guiding our affairs and the affairs of this whole world. There is nothing that goes on on this earth that he's not aware of. There's not a single person, not a single government, not a single thing that happens here, but that he's aware of it. But then our lives, he's still loving us. He's still providing his sufficient grace for us. As we said already, he's interceding at the right hand of the Father. He's hearing every prayer. And the Bible says that we have not a high priest 
that cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. Guess what that means? Not only does he hear our prayers, he feels our feelings. He feels our needs, that he uh, is able to relate to the things that we are going through because he came down here and he experienced what we're going through. And so he is able to be touched by the feelings of our infirmities. And he's also preparing a place for us. And he's coming again to prepare or to receive us unto himself that where he is, there we may be also. Can you imagine it's been over 2,000 years and he's been preparing that place? He created everything that we know of existence in seven days and he's been preparing a place for 2,000 years. What do you think it's going to be like? Bible says that it, I have not seen neither have entered into the heart of men the things that he has prepared for those who love him. We can't even begin to fathom what he has for us. And so that brings us to the fourth thing here. We've seen who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what will he do? What does the future hold? He's going to do all he promised he would. Not one jot, not one tittle will pass away. It will all be fulfilled. He will ultimately save all those who believe. And he will come again. He'll receive them unto himself. He will reward the faithful. And we're all going to be gathered to that place that he's prepared. All those who have trusted in him. He's going to cleanse this world of sin. He's going to judge it in righteousness. He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. And he's going to send the devil to the hell where he belongs. And I look forward to that day. The only one that I'll ever glory in going to hell is the devil. And he was going to the place that was prepared for him. But he's going to make all things right. All the things, all the injustices that we've seen all of our lives, God will make them right. All of the things that have been corrupted and, and compromised in this world, God is going to make them right. He is going to make a perfect place. After that thousand years, the devil is going to be cast into the lake of fire along with all those who have followed and served him. And then on top of that, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, untouched, undefiled by sin, that is absolutely perfect and will last for all eternity. And he's going to take us to a place that we're going to live where there is no more night because the Son of God is the light there. And he'll be the light of the world. He is making that place for us. He has promised it. And it says that so shall we ever and ever be with the Lord. No sin, no suffering, no parting, no separation because it is going to be endless. That's what he's doing. And so as we've seen this, there's a holy God that came to sinful men and died to make them holy so that one day they can go and live with him. So the final thought on this, I told you I wasn't going to keep you long. What do we do? We've seen what he did, what he's doing, what he will do. What do we do with it? I think the only appropriate response is we need to glorify and honor and praise him. You see who he is? You see what he's doing, what he has done, what he has prepared for us, the blessed hope that lies before us? And so we glorify and honor and praise the wonderful God that we have for all that he is and all that he's done and for the fact that he is not finished yet. I don't even think that he's even gotten started. Because he's God. And so if you're saved and you're going to heaven, it's only because of him. 
It's only because of who he is, not because of who you are. Because of what he's done, not because of what you've done. And I believe that he has great things planned for you, both on this earth and in eternity. Because his word says so. But if you're not saved, if there's never been a time that you've put your faith and trust in God for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation for your soul, he's not done. He's still extending an invitation. There is still room in that place he's preparing. He's still calling out to whosoever will may come. He's too good to reject. You can't even begin to fathom. You can't even understand who he is and how good he is. But I tell you, I'm going to enjoy spending eternity trying to. Trying to understand, try to get to know him. Try to comprehend him. And you can be there with me. He's too good to reject. His offer is too good to turn down. So if you're saved, you serve a good God. A great God, a powerful God, a personal God. But if you're not saved, how can you reject him? How can you turn him down? How can you pass into eternity without him? If you're not saved, be saved today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you so much, Lord, for the truth of who you are, Lord. I know you even caught John the Baptist by surprise, Lord. And Lord, you often catch us by surprise. Lord, we get distracted. We get turned aside, Lord. We forget how wonderful you are, how great you are, and all the things that you've done and you're doing and what you've promised. Help us, Lord, to, to see you. Help us to glorify you. Help us, Lord, to be thankful and grateful for all that you've done. Lord, we look forward to the day that our faith becomes sight. We look forward to that day. We see that place that you've spent so long preparing. And Lord, we pray even so come quickly. But Lord, I pray that you would just work on the hearts and lives of those who don't know you. Lord, we don't want to be selfish. Lord, we, we know that you're long-suffering, Lord, that you're still calling out to whosoever will. Lord, I pray that you'd save those nearest hell. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts and lives of those who don't know you. And help us, Lord, to be a good ambassador, a good representative, to tell how good you are to the people we come in contact with that every man may know. We thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for all you're going to do. And we do love and praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.